Bennett. I'm one of the leaders in Dundee Elam and Stephen has asked me uh, to speak today. Uh, I'm a youth worker with Youth for Christ and also an NHS chaplain. And we're continuing a series that uh, we began a, a number of weeks back looking at different uh, areas of our lives and thinking about this title, how to stay emotionally healthy and spiritually alive. It's been all the S's. The first uh, uh, talk was silence and solitude. The second talk was on the Sabbath and today is on simplicity. But first a story from my life, an illustration. Due to the restrictions that we're in, we're not able to meet people within our homes. But one way of continuing to meet for us, and particularly my mother-in-law, is to meet outside. But uh, as the weather has become less good, it's been, how do you do that? And, and so our solution has been that we've bought quite a large marquee, a five metre by three metre marquee. It is quite some structure, German made, very good quality marquee. But most of the week, I've had one thing on my mind, how to anchor this marquee to the ground. You see, on Tuesday, it nearly took off. I got a WhatsApp message from my daughter saying that she was holding it to the ground in the strong winds. And so I've bought fixing anchors. I've bought storm straps. I've bought bolts to bolt it to the hard ground so it can hold this marquee in place. Well, as we think uh, about our lives, we're uh, apprentices, followers of Jesus. There are strong winds buffeting us, strong cultural winds coming at us. What is going to hold us firm so that we keep going the Jesus way? The area that we're particularly thinking about, money and possessions, there is a very strong wind going against us, wanting to push us in certain ways. There is almost a, a, a gospel message that's out there, the gospel of the world. More things are going to make you happier. Trade your car and get a better, a better one. And if you can't afford it, take out a loan. Get a bigger home. Get a better phone. Always upgrade. Get the latest fashion. Get a bigger TV. There's a carrot dangling in front of us, of our nose, attached to a stick. It's there saying you can have more. You see, one chap put it this way, the French sociologist John Baudrillard has made the point that in the Western world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. He argues atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity, shopping has. It is identity from what we have, what we wear, what we've purchased. Our shopping centres have become almost like temples, go down to some of the ones that I go past in England, and they almost look like temples. We talk about retail therapy as though buying more stuff is going to make you feel better and is going to be a therapy for you. And when we go on the internet and social media, we can think that we're going on a free uh, resource, but actually it's tracking you and your interests and popping up lots of adverts persuading you that this is what you should have, this is what you should buy. It is no accident that I keep on getting bike adverts popping up in my feed. It is because I take an interest in bikes, but they keep popping up. 
And so we live in this culture which is constantly saying have more. It hasn't always been that way. We've moved from an agricultural subsistence culture to this and it's happened relatively quickly over the last few hundred years. And we've ended up in this time post-war where it's got accelerated more and more a desire for more. A Queen's song that said I want it all I want it now and as we come towards Christmas we see all the adverts all the ways in which we should be expressing our love by buying more and more stuff much of which we can't afford and is it going to make people happier does it make people uh, feel that they've become happier by having all this stuff well it's it said that not at all this is a quote, adjusting for population growth. Ten times as many people in the Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression or unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did half a century ago. Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. It doesn't look like more money, more possessions has equaled more happiness. And as you would imagine, Jesus has much to say about that. And it's the one thing, it's the one false idol that Jesus called out, actually. False God. The name was Mammon, the God of mon mon money, because it's, it's a bad God and a lousy religion. Now, we can't go back to some sort of... Um, subsistence culture again we have to live where we are but we need to live here in the Jesus way so we need to look at our fixings how are we going to live at this time in this century with all the pressures all the wind that's blowing against us wanting us to go in particular ways how do we live well, I believe that as we look at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, that can really help us. And when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's amazing. 25% of the Sermon on the Mount is about money. A quarter of his teaching there is all about money. So let's just have a little look at it. First of all, Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you are investing your time and your energy, that is where your treasure is. Jesus is calling us out to invest in kingdom, in him, treasures in heaven. Ten years ago, we bought a brand new car. It's fantastic. It's been a great car for us, but it's starting to rust. Bits are falling off. There's lights that no longer work that used to work. It's not illegal, but it's just they don't all work in the way in which they used to. There's rust. It's rusting. Possessions rust, fade. The kingdom of heaven is going to last forever. Think of what you're investing in. What are you investing your time and your talent, your energies in? Then we go on, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
if then the light is within you, is darkness. How great is that darkness? Why does Jesus put this bit about eyesight in the middle of his teaching about money? Well, it's to do with actually having healthy eye, but it's a double meaning. The people of the day would have understood it. It's not just about seeing. It's about intentional living, not living in darkness, but living in light. It's about living in an intentional way, a God honouring way. That's the first thing. And the second thing is being generous to the poor, seeing the poor and then responding by being generous. Just a little kind of illustration. I think we obviously have poverty around us in this country, but when we go to the less developed countries of the world, we see poverty in a whole different light. I remember when I was in Malawi, uh, we were traveling around and some of the little shops had little bags of yellow liquid hanging outside the shops. I wondered what that was. Uh, and I asked uh, my brother-in-law about it. And he explained that that was cooking oil for one meal. And people would be saving up so that they could do one meal's cooking. Now, there is poverty in this country uh, and it is difficult for people uh, who are in that situation. However, most and probably all people can buy cooking oil, a bottle of cooking oil. But when you see that in a less developed country where they've only got enough oil for one meal, it really makes, brings it home to you, the differences between the West and the less developed countries in the world. But being generous to the poor. So Jesus was here speaking about eyes that see, that are intentional and are generous to the poor. And then verse 24, he says this. He really kind of encapsulates all of what he's saying about money. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve God and the system. You have to pick. There's a choice. Jesus is making it starkly clear to the people. And I think that choice is still the same today. That's the truth of the word of God. You cannot serve both God and money. Choice time, folks. We have a choice. Who are we serving? What are we serving? And then the next piece, what does he do? He goes on to talk about worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Jesus connects stuff and money to worry. If you're running after stuff and money, your mental health is going to suffer. There's going to be higher anxiety and worry. I wonder if that is why in the West we have such high levels of anxiety and worry. So two ways of living. Jesus or stuff. If you worship money, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to eat you alive. And what I'm suggesting today is the way of simplicity. Jesus' way. Simplicity. A choice to live in Jesus' way. Living with less. 
living freely, intentionally, joyfully, celebratory. The interesting thing is, it's not all dour and boring. Jesus was actually accused of this in John 7 verse 34. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus enjoyed the good things of life. He enjoyed life. He enjoyed celebrating. He enjoyed his hanging out uh, with all sorts of people. He went to parties. So it wasn't that he was a killjoy against things and against enjoying things, but rather to live freely, intentionally living for God. Roger Foster puts it, Richard Foster puts it this way. Simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents and possessions towards what matters most. And that can be freeing because you're actually living intentionally rather than being controlled and, and, and pushed in directions like the wind pushing you in directions to get more, to seek more. So how do we put some of this into practice? How do we live out in this way? How do we take practical steps? So I'm just going to give you some ideas. They might be uh, really helpful and applicable to you. Some may be less so. That's okay. Um, but see, see what, what it would mean for you to live in, with simplicity. So first thing, true cost of an item. Think of the true cost of an item. Can I really afford this? Can I keep it? Can I maintain it? Will it slow down my life or is it going to speed up my life? Is it going to put pressure on me? Recently I got a hire car, a BMW M series car to drive down to Birmingham. It was lovely. It was a great car to drive. It told me when I went into the wrong lane by rumbling me and uh, it was a lovely car to drive. It didn't actually get me there any quicker than any other car because you can only drive at the speed limit. But it was a lovely car and I could have after that experience thought that's the car that I need to buy. But I couldn't afford to keep a car like that even if I could have afford to buy it in the first place. I couldn't afford to maintain it. I couldn't afford the parts. So we need to think, what is the true cost of things that we buy? The second thing is, by buying something, am I oppressing the poor? Or harming the earth? God wants us to look after this earth. There is one creation. He created it and he gave us it to steward this earth. How is my purchases affecting the earth? Can we think about ethical purchases, things that aren't oppressing the poor? Where does my clothing come from? Are people being paid properly for the things that I buy? Thirdly, never impulse buy. You're going to tend to buy something that's not, not great. Don't impulse buy. Avoid that. No matter how many times it pings up on your internet or you just see it and you love it. Think about it. Buy fewer things, but better things. In a throwaway culture, there is a real call for us to think about how we make purchases. To buy fewer things, but better. Fifthly, when you can, rather than buying, share. 
try and find ways of sharing. My neighbours are, are both sides of me are greatly into their DIY and so whenever I've got a project on and I discover that I don't have a particular tool I very often will go and ask them have you got this have you got that and very often they do and only too happy to lend it to me sometimes that's come off badly when I've broken something and then I've realized I've, I have to obviously replace it to give it back to them but mostly I'm using it as a one-off and we're able to share and we often talk about the projects that we're involved into so when you can, share. Sixthly, get into the habit of giving things away. Be generous. Now, I'm not naturally generous, but I love getting into this and trying to really go after this. Giving generously and graciously to others. Recently, our apple tree has produced a lot of apples, and it's been great just to give them out to our neighbours and to just share what we have, which is an overabundance of apples. But what's really interesting is when we give generously, it does something to our heart, but it also affects other people. And the other day, my neighbor said, uh, could you use any of these tools? And he gave me a whole set of tools that he was just clearing out of his shed. Generosity spreads and can affect others and kindness can be the result. So give away generously. Give of your time, your talents and your money. Live by a budget. It's always good to do that. I'm not always great at doing that, but living by a budget, stick to it, write it down, have it clear so you know what you're gonna spend on certain things. And so then you can live by it. Eighthly, enjoy things without owning them. You know, uh, during lockdown, we realized that all around us, there's so many things that we don't own, but we can enjoy. I've never seen so many people out in the park, walking, walking around the park, enjoying what's around us. We don't need to own things to enjoy. Ninthly, it's simple pleasures. We can enjoy simple pleasures. A good coffee, a great piece of cake, a great bit of food. Or even in my case, and you might think me strange for this, a bike bell. I got a lovely bike bell that sounds fantastic. Simple pleasures. Or tenthly, call out advertising for what it is. It's selling a dream, an ideal, but it can't deliver on it. It's just a thing after all. Call it out for what it is. And finally, have a cheerful and happy revolution against the spirit of materialism. That's what St. Francis and his merry band of followers did. They had a revolution against materialism. Why not try it? Have a bit of a revolution against materialism. One of the verses that we're often, as I begin to come towards the end of this talk, that we often use and, 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 and use it um, and we stick it on our fridges maybe, or put it on our, our, uh, our laptops, whatever, is this verse. <coughs> I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's Paul writing. And it's a great verse. And it speaks of God providing for us all the strength we need, which is brilliant. But actually, what's the context of the verse? The context of the verse is this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. 
Indeed, you're concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul had found the secret of contentment, that it wasn't in how much he had. It was in Jesus and in God alone. And it was him who could give him the strength to do that. And so for each one of us, it's so important that we learn. We learn contentment in God. We learn to mine that contentment that he wants to give us and live simply. Live simply. Build treasures in heaven and seek first his kingdom. So have fun of thinking how you can live simply, how you can live in a way that puts Jesus first so that the storms that are around us aren't pushing you in ways that can cause us anxiety and trouble, but rather we stand firm and we live by his values, by his word, and in a way that we have more contentment, more freedom to be all that Jesus wants us to be. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for each one watching this, that you love us, that you care for us so much, that you want us to live for you and to live basing our lives on you and all that you give us. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that it's eternal kingdom, that it does not rust, that it does not fade, and that those of us that know you know that we will be forever in your kingdom. We thank you for this. Amen.